As human beings, we seem to be creatures of wanting to understand things. And uh, often that seems to express itself or manifest as trying to figure out why things happen. And that happens to us in our practice as well. You know, when we're meeting things in our practice, we're meeting struggles of various kinds. There can be a temptation or a kind of a sense of why is this happening? Even, even, um, uh, especially, it seems, after we've seen something a few times and, and kind of begun to recognize this isn't so helpful and our mind keeps doing it. And it's like, why? Why does it keep doing this? And we may want to like go back into our past and try to figure things out. You know, what, what's going on based on my history? There must be some very deep kind of tendency in my family that makes me keep doing this and... Um, you know, feeling like wanting to dig, that we, we want to understand what's going on based on our conditioning from the past. And understanding conditioning is helpful and is important. We talk about the conditioned nature of our experience and how important and helpful it is to understand that our experience is conditioned. And yet this kind of uh, foray into the why, you know, understanding the why of our experience often um, involves thinking and trying to figure things out. It can involve um, our views, our, our ideas, our beliefs, our attitudes, the things that have shaped us. And so this is something to recognize actually that when we are looking for something, kind of trying to understand something, and we're trying to understand it through the lens of our prior conditioning, our, our views and our ideas and our, our, um, our attitudes, then we may well find what we're looking for will find things that are shaped by those conditions. And so it can become a kind of a, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. We look, we're, we're looking for something, we're trying to find meaning, understand why something's happening, but that very search is shaped by our conditioning and so it tends to go in, in particular ways. And so our practice instead of using this habit or this um, familiar way of exploring why things are going on, instead encourages us to just look at what is happening. What is happening right now in this present moment? This present moment is all that there is. It's all that we have access to in terms of understanding what is happening. And so exploring what is actually happening right now. Kind of dropping below the, the ideas and views to just like, well, what is this? What is happening? The Buddha 
described Last night Richard talked about one way there was a description of a difference between an enlightened person and an ordinary person. There's another uh, sutta that has a similar kind of contrast. And in this one, it says that an untaught ordinary person doesn't understand what things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention. Since that is so, they attend to those things unfit for attention and do not attend to those things fit for attention. This is how they attend unwisely. Was I in the past? Was I not in the past? What was I in the past? How was I in the past? Having been what, what did I become in the past? Shall I be in the future? Shall I not be in the future? What shall I be in the future? How shall I be in the future? Having been what, what shall I become in the future? Or else they are inwardly perplexed about the present. Thus, am I? Am I not? What am I? How am I? Where has this being come from? Where will it go? In a way, these are all questions about the why. Where have I come from? Why am I here? This kind of thing. Having been that in the past, why am I this now? This kind of question. So this is that flavor of, of why, why, why? What's the meaning? And then he goes on to say, a well-taught noble disciple understands what things are fit for attention and what things are unfit for attention. Since that is so, they do not attend to those things unfit for attention and attend to those things fit for attention. They attend wisely. This is suffering. They attend wisely. This is the end of suffering. They attend wisely. This is the arising of suffering. They attend wisely. This is the ending of suffering. They attend wisely. This is the way leading to the ending of suffering. And you probably recognize those statements. This is suffering. This is the arising of suffering. This is the origin of suffering. This is the ending of suffering. This is the way leading to the ending of suffering. As being uh, expressions of the Four Noble Truths. And when I first read this, I first began studying this teaching, I just kind of blew past this part and and, uh, thought, well, that's just the Four Noble Truths. Okay, so an enlightened person understands the Four Noble Truths. And I'd kind of heard that that was kind of the insight the Buddha had, the insight into the Four Noble Truths. This is what the Buddha taught. And so I kind of just blew past it. But what it's pointing to here, to me, the way it's phrased, one attends wisely. This, what is happening right now, this has one of these four flavors. It'll be either suffering, or suffering coming into being, or suffering ending, 
or it will be the cultivation of qualities on the path leading to the end of suffering. And so we can kind of, uh, in a way, use this framework of the Four Noble Truths as a framework for understanding our experience. And he, he says this is, this is the way a, a, a wise person meets experience. One way to look at the difference between these two is that the uh, ordinary person is attending to experience through the perspective and view of their sense of self, who they are, all those questions, why am I? And the, um, the enlightened person understands suffering and it's arising, it's ending, and what leads to the ending of suffering. There's no um, orientation around the uh, perspective of a sense of self in that. It's just around suffering or the end of suffering. And so this, again, this looking at what's happening right now, we can look at what's going on with respect to, is it suffering? Is it the arising of suffering? And that's the part I'd mostly like to explore this evening, those two questions or those two pieces. How can we explore that or know that or understand that through this exploration of what is happening? Because as we uh, shift our perspective or our habit of exploring things from this question of why to, well, what's here? What's going on? This is what we begin to see. We begin to understand suffering. We begin to see the conditions that lead to its arising. So suffering, this form of suffering that the, um, the Buddha expressed as being possible to be completely free of, this kind of suffering is pointed to here as arising in the present moment. That's what this uh, pointing says to me. This, right now, what's happening right now, this is suffering. So it's pointing to the, the, the experience right here in this moment. What is the experience of suffering right here in this moment? And can we know that? Can we know it as suffering? Actually, that is an insight. The recognition, this is suffering. That's an insight. We don't often think of it that way. We often think of it as a problem, but when we see it, oh, this is what's happening. Suffering is arising. The, the Buddha encouraged me to get to know this, understand it. And seeing it, suffering is arising here, now, in the present moment. This is the only place it can arise, and it's also the only place it can end. We, we may think about or um, uh, have the sense somehow that we've suffered in the past and that suffering is kind of being carried along or dragged with us through our lives and it's the same suffering that we experienced months ago or years ago and it's back, it's here to haunt us. And yet the, 
this exploration, when we start to look at our experience, we see what happens in the present moment. We're not suffering the same suffering that happened in the past. What's happening? I saw this actually, on, I've seen this many times, but the first time it became so clear to me, it was on, I think it was on my first three-month course. And um, this memory of a time when I, um, I um, got very embarrassed about something arose in my mind. And uh, that memory arose in my mind. And the feeling of embarrassment came along with it. And it, at first it kind of felt like this was the old embarrassment. You know, that it was the embarrassment that happened the, all those years ago when I was standing on the stage in that play and forgot my line. That memory of standing there arose in my mind and all of those feelings came up. Over and over again this happened on that retreat. And I got to look at it over and over again and I, and, and I began to recognize that that the, um, the arising of the feelings of embarrassment were kind of separate from the memory. I, I had thought at first they were just interlocked and no, no, not possible to have them be separate, but could begin to see, again, just through noticing what's happening, what's happening, that the, the memory arises, and then it's like the mind does something with that memory. It like goes, oh yeah, that memory, oh, I remember that, that was awful, oh, it was terrible, and I was so embarrassed. And what happens? We become embarrassed in this moment. Our minds pick up the memory and all the things that happened there and reconstruct in this moment, right now, that suffering is being constructed. It's not the same suffering. It's being experienced now. And so this happens a lot to us. We're sitting in meditation and a memory arises. And, and often, because thoughts are so powerful, memories are so powerful, those memories arise and very often a lot of the same feelings that we experienced at that time come into being in that moment. But they are now coming into being. They weren't there a few moments ago. This was a, this was a piece that I, uh, I, I didn't quite understand. I thought I was just kind of tapping into some like pool of embarrassment that was sitting there already. And, and, and didn't quite understand that, no, it was actually being regenerated right in this moment. So seeing that over and over again helped me to understand this is suffering now. This is being created right now. Our suffering is created now based on conditions from the past, based on triggers that happen that are associated with things that have happened to us, and based on how we relate to the entire thing right now. So it's, there's, there's different threads that kind of come into the creation of this suffering. There's, the, there's our, our memories and our thoughts, and there's the, the, you know, the habits and patterns of reactivity, and then there's, there's how, how the mind is right in this moment. And so just as an example, you know, the, the, you've seen, I'm sure, in your practice, 
sometimes something will arise that um, maybe tends to be triggering for you, but you know you've you've had a good night of rest and the mindfulness is strong and it's like it's there and it just like it's seen and it goes. There's ve- barely any of that suffering arises because of the way the mind is in this moment. But other times, maybe you didn't get a lot of sleep and you're hungry and it's been a rocky um, you know, day of mindfulness and that thing arises and a lot of suffering is created. And so there's a lot of conditions that come into play for how suffering arises in the moment. So everything we need to know about suffering for its understanding to be free from it, to release the suffering, for the mind to begin to understand how to let go of it, everything we need to know is happening in the present moment. That was actually a relief to me when I I recognized that I don't have to actually figure out all the conditioning. You know, all of that history and all of that why of, you know, family conditioning and conditioning in the schoolyard and all of those habits and patterns of mind that got shaped. You know, it's it's a relief to recognize that everything that we need to know to be free from suffering that's arising in this moment. It's available in this moment. So when we can see this kind of way that suffering is put together in the moment, and this this seeing happens by just being with what is happening in the present moment. As I said, everything that's, that's Um, this needed is here in the present moment so all we need to do is look at this present moment now this doesn't this doesn't mean that we'll always be able to see it all in in any present moment but what what we explore is the more connect with now connect with, with what's here begin to trust just that connection this it's enough to just connect with this I don't need to think back through all of the whys. Sometimes even, you know, thinking we know the whys can be, um, as I said earlier, it can kind of get in the way or, or it can kind of deceive us, you know. It can kind of uh, send us down a, a kind of a wayward path. Maybe it was on... Uh, oh no, no, this actually happened really early in my practice. I remember now this was uh, I was um, in the first few months of my practice actually. Um, I was exploring emotions and doing this largely in daily life. Um, I wasn't so interested in meditating, sitting down and do sitting meditation when I first started practicing, but I was really interested in exploring and understanding my mind. And my mind was making me suffer. And so I began looking at what was going on in my mind and various threads were kind of predominant at that time. Uh, One, anger, another, loneliness. uh, And these were connected to... um, 
a relationship that had ended in a very, what I thought was a very unskillful way, that the, of the person had ended it in a very unskillful way. So lots of anger, lots of loneliness, lots of grief. Uh, so feeling into all of this. And um, at one point I was um, noticing that every night when I went to bed, I got really lonely. Now this was not a surprise to me. I thought I understood why I was lonely. But I was interested in just observing and so I just kind of watched my mind. Each night I'd notice, yep, there's that loneliness again. Okay. And it was really simple. A really, really simple mindfulness. It's like, yep, there it is. Okay, I know I'm lonely. Loneliness is happening. It wasn't even a very, you know, like detailed exploration of the body. It was just like, yep, that's what the mind is doing right now. It's, it's, it's lonely. There's loneliness happening. And I watched this pretty much every night as I went to bed. And at one, one night, and, you know, this was, a, this was a night that I think I wasn't particularly, you know, I think mostly when I, no- I noticed the loneliness as it came up or after it came up. But this night, I, I, wa- I didn't feel like I was particularly, um, you know, being, like, trying to be mindful. But what I noticed, and maybe it was because I was attuned to that quality of loneliness and just kind of um, getting familiar with it through that regular every evening. Yep, there it is again. Okay. Um, this evening, um, this one evening, I noticed that the loneliness, it's like, it was like somebody flipped a switch when I set my alarm clock. I picked up my alarm clock and I set my alarm clock and the loneliness like turned on. I was like, what? What does setting an alarm clock have to do with loneliness? I didn't know. But I just kept each night just kind of watching and and it kind of is like, oh yeah, here it is. Here it is again when I set the alarm clock. I don't remember how many nights it was. It probably wasn't too many nights, maybe the next night or the following night. When I set the alarm clock, I noticed a memory arise of being with my ex-partner and I was um, in Disneyland. We were in Disneyland together and looking up at a marquee in Tomorrowland that had a digital clock on it. And I could see the connection between what I was doing, setting the digital clock and the memory, and how the memory was connected to the loneliness. And it was like the, the mind was going, oh yeah, I was so happy then and I'm never going to be happy again. You know, It was like that, that particular memory was, was one of my cherished memories. And it's like these memories felt like they'd been destroyed or something. But, but you know, that, that memory had flitted through and it had been you know, creating this loneliness. That was amazing to me that I could see. In that moment, it was like, wow, I thought, I thought the loneliness was because I was going to bed alone. I didn't know it was about a memory, about Disneyland. So this was seeing more the conditions of the present moment, the trigger in the present moment, the thought, and the, the kind of reaction to the thought. So this is more seeing the why of the present moment. Or we could say perhaps the how suffering is put together in the present moment.
the amazing thing about that, so as I, I saw that, you know, so again, it was, it was kind of interesting to recognize that my idea of the why was just kind of off base. It wasn't related to that. And I definitely found out about this the next night because the next night as I went to bed, I you know, clearly remembered this whole thing that had happened the night before. But the loneliness didn't come up. And in fact, that regular every night going to bed lonely stopped happening. It's like seeing that how the, the suffering is put together the mind understood in that moment, this is my, my way of describing it after the fact, the mind understood its own participation in that suffering. And the mind understood how to not go there. I couldn't say, oh yeah, I don't want to go there. But the mind, having seen that kind of construction, that how it was put together, and that its own processes were responsible it's like it said, yeah, I don't think so. And so that, that, was, that was really amazing to me to see how that seeing that why of the present moment or the how that suffering was put together in the present moment at a pretty clear level. I mean, it was seen very clearly in that moment that that was the power that seeing that what, basically, what happened in that moment, what was arising, what was the mind doing with it, moment to moment, seeing that created the conditions for the mind to let go of that suffering. And so this is the power of that what, of looking at the what. So what what is actually happening right now? It won't always be suffering. But so often when we're looking at what is happening right now, we are seeing it through our habits and our views and our beliefs and our attitudes. And so we, we may not necessarily, we may not be able to stop that but we can be aware or curious about, well, yeah, there's all of these ideas about what's happening. But can I actually be curious about what's actually happening here? You know, what is actually happening? What's happening in the moment? There's, there's the body sensations happening and there's emotions and moods that are happening and thoughts that are happening and the other senses, the smells and sounds and sights, all of that is happening in the present moment. That's kind of the, the ground of our experience. So a thought arising in the present moment is, is just a thought arising in the present moment. That can be known as a what. It's not often, I mean, our, our mind when thoughts arise in the present moment, it's not just simply recognizing, oh, there's a thought. We're often jumping onto that thought and thinking about it and believing the views and ideas that it's expressing. But we can be aware, oh, there's a thought. There's a body sensation. This is what's happening. The body feels like this. The emotions feel like this. 
Frustration is arising. Confusion is happening. Delight is happening. Joy is happening. Whatever is happening, we can know that just as a happening, as an arising. Another aspect of the what of our experience, there's a couple more pieces I want to point to, is that um, you know, we can often have some things that are hidden from our view or perspective of what's happening because of the habits of our mind, because of the ways that we tend to look at things. And so there can be perspectives in, our, in the back of our mind that we don't uh, recognize because they're so familiar or that pattern is so, is so familiar to us. And so one way of, of touching into that, of another way of seeing what's happening right now or opening to something more. So there's, there's a lot of stuff happening in the present moment. And there's a certain set of it that we're familiar with seeing and knowing and experiencing. And a way to expand a little bit further is to check in with the simple question we've mentioned, and I think Kamala mentioned this morning, about what's the attitude or what's the relationship to what's happening? Because often our relationship to what's happening can be a little behind uh, the scenes. So we can have habitual ways of relating and not really uh, recognize that that's also a happening. And so there's you know, something unpleasant happening and there's a sense of, oh, not liking it. And maybe that not liking is kind of um, motivating a way of paying attention. Well, if I look at this really carefully, maybe it'll go away. If I dive into that sensation or whatever, that unpleasantness, maybe it'll go away. And so that, that being motivated by a desire to get rid of it or that a, a little bit of aversion, but not seen. And so, you know, checking in, well, what's happening and how am I? You know, what's, the, what's the relationship? This is also something that's happening in the present moment. And, and, we, and when we check into that, there's not much to really do except notice that as, as a happening too. Oh, this thing is happening and I don't like it. That's what's happening. Okay. Unpleasant and not liking. That's what's going on right now. That's the what of experience. Then there are other, uh, sometimes there's other things that are um, kind of hidden from view or just perspectives that are not within the realm of what we normally see. Uh, And another question that can be uh, explored at times that I found is a little bit broader than what is my relationship to the experience, is something like, okay, this is, this is stuff that's happening. I know this stuff that's happening, but what else is happening right now? So at one point, I was, um, I was driving. I think I was going from work to home. And uh, I noticed that my mind was leaping into the future And in this frenzy of planning, I would call it restlessness and anxiety. That was the state of mind. Churning, spinning, lots of thoughts and thinking. And I was like, whoa, wow, I'm driving. Let me come back. And I would put my attention on my hands on the steering wheel and try to, okay, seeing is happening. And hands on the steering wheel, what's happening? And like seconds later, I'd be back in that 
restless mind. And uh, this happened enough times that I finally got a little curious. It's like, wow, something's really going on here. What else is happening right now? And when I stopped and kind of just checked in with that, it's like, well, what else is going on? Like not looking for anything, but almost more like asking my system, you tell me, I have no idea. You tell me what's going on here. And what arose in that moment, what, what, the, what I saw in the next moment was, I was really, really happy. I had missed that entirely. <laughs> and when I noticed that, it's like what was going on with that happiness. And as I, see, as I saw over the course of you know, my practice, I, 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 I at one point reported to my teacher, I said, you know, I think I talk myself out of happiness. And what was going on was that there was this kind of feeling of happiness, but there was this kind of propelling into the future of, well, how can I make sure this, like, you know, the conditions continue in some such way that I, you know, can keep this happiness, but I was missing it entirely. I was not even experiencing the happiness. So that kind of opening of what else is happening, that, that to me, that wouldn't have been met with what's the attitude about this anxiety. You know, it's, that wasn't, it wasn't the attitude there. It was, it, was, it was something else that was going on that just was missed until I was willing to kind of step back and say, okay, yeah, show me. This is in that mode of receptivity that I spoke about the other day, you know, just kind of, okay, what else is there? You know, just kind of settle back. It's almost like just take a pause and let what arises arise. Let, let's, let your system show you what's happening. So sometimes our our struggles are a little deeper, a little more multi-layered. There's emotions layered on emotions, layered on habits and views and beliefs, and it's just like a big mess. Very complex seeming uh, experience. And we have a sense at times, I think, of the multi-layered nature of a lot of our deeper kinds of suffering. And we may even have a sense at times of, yeah, well, you know that connected with anger, there's, there's like, um, you know, fear and resistance and vulnerability that's in the mix. And so having seen it, we may, you know, when anger comes up and may be like, okay, I know what this is about. There's vulnerability in there somewhere, so let me find it. And that kind of mode of like, you know, okay, there's this thing, I'm going to put it under the microscope and I'm going to pull it apart and figure it out. That is often, um, you know, it's not so helpful. And that idea, again, the idea of there being something, kind of a, 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 a thinking we know what's in the middle, thinking we know where we're going, why this thing is happening. Um, maybe... You know, maybe that's what's happening, but, you know, our minds do lots of stuff (laughs) and do it in many different ways. And this particular flavor might be different. And so, you know, again, be willing to see what, what is actually here right now. 
as opposed to thinking, oh, I know what this is, let me find this. So the movement of um, meeting experience, um, you know, the, the being with the what of experience, I, I like the phrase being with actually. We sometimes talk about investigation and that word actually, the word investigation often invokes in our minds this exploration of why something is happening. Um, and so I, I like to explore instead the, the, just the, the simplicity of what we mean by this word investigation is meeting experience, of being with experience. Just landing with experience and just being like with, with this big mess of stuff Sometimes I, I just like think of like, okay, well, oh, it's a big mess. Can I hold it with really wide arms? Meet whatever is obvious about that big mess. It's a mutating mess that kind of is turning in and out and inside out and various pieces of that big mess will kind of come to the surface and be obvious. And so we can kind of just settle back and hold it with wide arms and let ourselves see what comes to the surface, what's obvious in any given moment, and just meeting it, being with it, a gentle connection, patience with uh, allowing it to reveal itself, letting the what of the present moment reveal itself. It's really helpful not to make assumptions, as I said a minute ago, about what might be in there because they may or may not be, those assumptions may or may not be true. And if you notice that there are assumptions, just see if you can hold them lightly. Just see if it can be a kind of, yeah, okay, that may be the case, but let's see. Just see if you can recognize whatever's obvious in this moment. Another experience from my own practice. Um, I hope that sharing these experiences gives you some, uh, both sense of how this can work and, um, you know, a sense of the possibility of what happens when we just are willing to just like, okay, finally surrender and say, yeah, this is what's happening. Can I meet this? Over and over again in my own practice, when I finally surrendered, when I was capable of it, I mean, there are times, as we've mentioned, that mindfulness isn't strong enough to meet a really challenging pattern, that trying to meet something with mindfulness kind of takes us down the rabbit hole of it. And when that's the case, we need to do other things, as Richard talked about last night, finding something else to pay attention to, opening our eyes or taking a walk, doing something to ground ourselves. I encourage people to find something. I I mentioned this in the community meeting. Find a place and way to ground yourself, um, to have a kind of go-to way to help yourself stabilize when there's something that's overwhelming. But, but many times, mostly what I was, a lot of what I was doing or a lot of the actual reactivity was around thinking it was a problem to be experiencing this difficulty and thinking, you know, I had this view 
that as long as I was experiencing, well, self-hatred or depression or anger or whatever it was, because I had a lot of these, you know, unpleasant, (laughs) painful stuff going on in my mind, you know, I I thought that that the, the practice wasn't actually going anywhere. It's like I had to wait for the practice to start until those went away. And when I finally recognized this actually is the practice to meet this self-hatred, to recognize, oh, depression, that's what's arising right now. And I could just kind of surrender and recognize, yeah, this is what's happening right now. That's the honest truth. Being honest with myself, this is what's happening. And, And when I'm able to meet it, you know, just holding it in a simple, simple way. Oh, yeah, here's depression. Yep, that's what's happening. Noticing when it comes, when it goes. So just, just being with it when it's there. And so the, the one story I was thinking about sharing about assumptions and, and setting them aside, actually, because I, I saw around depression that um, I was... I was practicing in Burma at uh, Saito Utejaniya's monastery for an extended period of time. And um, there we have, there, there are times when um, uh, it's not a silent community. And so I was in silence much of the time, but once a day usually I would take a walk with a friend and we would, you know, have a conversation. And, and I would see at other times of the day other people meeting up for walk and talks and I'd be by myself. And I would often notice this depression coming up when I'd see other people, like, together. And, you know, immediately my mind went to, oh, I know what this is about. This is about all those times on the playground when I was excluded. I saw that and thought, okay, well, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe. <laughs> and, and I just kind of set that aside. But there was a kind of, there was a little bit of a view in there that, that this is where it was from. But I just kept watching, you know, just kept noticing, just kept, kept exploring. Over the course of several weeks, exploring this mild, low-grade depression that was there a lot. And then one day, um, I felt into it in a way, and it was new this, this day that I felt into it. And again, maybe because I had been able to meet it over time, you know, I was fam- more familiar with it. I got more comfortable with meeting it and being with it. No longer felt so threatening. And one day when I was sitting with it, it I felt like it felt like it was just growing. I was, I was, I was sitting, um, in my room, and it felt like the, the feeling of depression was just like getting really big. It's like, wow, that's different. What is that about? And it, it just was like, wow, okay, what does this feel like for it to get really, really, really big, this depression? And at some point, as it got so big, it kind of like, it felt like it flipped inside out. And it became meta. It was like this really vast, open heart of meta. The very next thought in my mind was, in feeling, in the midst of feeling this beautiful quality of metta, my mind said, this is stupid, this is sappy. (laughs) And that moment was like a, ah, this is this is probably, this is, this felt like it, it was a connection to that, you know, the feeling of that expansiveness of metta being kind of pushed down as being not, uh, you know, 
somehow being stupid and sappy, there was a repression of that feeling that was connected to the depression. That was not what I thought was in the middle of that depression. You know, that was not what, what my understanding of it was. But again, it's so in seeing that, it's like, wow, you know, so there's, there's work to do here. You know, there's work to do about understanding that relationship with metta. But as I re- remember it, the depression was no longer so much of an issue in, in, on that retreat. But there's other stuff to look at. So with these multi-layered patterns, these many flavored messy kinds of patterns. Patience is helpful. Um, in my own experience, I've, you know, I've gone through many of these kinds and, 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 you know, there's a long arc of practicing with it. Practiced with a pattern around anger for many years and, um, you know, this depression over several weeks and self-hatred for many years and, you know, just, just gradually the mind began to understand pieces of this and began to re to shift and let go of some of the ways in which it clung to it. And so patience, because the you know, we, we can jump in and think, okay, okay, I've been with the what of experience for five minutes, why am I not getting an insight? You know, it can take a long time. And yet this is not this is not meant to be depressing because you know in my own in my own experience it's like as as I think the the it's said in the suttas you know the dharma is good in the beginning the middle and the end it's like even just the beginning where we start to recognize oh anger is happening that's what's going on you know it's like the mind gets some space around it it's not like dissolving and vanishing but it's got a completely different relationship to it than being caught in the anger. And so it's, a, it's, it's the, this opening to being with, immediately we start to experience the, the, the benefits of it. The whole um, kind of like releasing of these patterns can take time. But the Dharma is good in the beginning, the middle, and the end. So sometimes, um, as I've kind of pointed to the the way in which we have our views and our beliefs and our ideas that can shape what we're, you know, if we're if we're not careful, can shape what we're experiencing. You know, kind of a looking for a particular reason or meaning, and we tend to look for meaning. That's kind of the why of things. It's like why is this happening? It's kind of a movement towards meaning. And um, you know, as we as we look for particular meaning, we may find something that's connected with our views about that. And so, again, it can be a self fulfilling prophecy. So, again, the 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 kind of curiosity around what's actually happening, this overlay of of views or concepts or ideas, beliefs can happen in such a subtle way that we don't really recognize it. 
a kind of an attribution of something happening. So, you know, our, our bodies, our minds, are, they, there was a, a kind of intimate feedback loop between our bodies and minds. And um, sometimes things happen in our body and it affects our mind. Sometimes things happen in our mind, it affects our body. And the emotional terrain is really in this uh, mix. When a thought arises in the mind, it might move us towards an emotion and then um, physical sensations arise. Sometimes we can have physical sensations that arise and it's similar to an emotion. And because it's similar to an emotion, it's like the emotion, it's like, oh yeah, that must be what I'm feeling. And then that gets constructed because it's like we're expecting it. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a two-way street there. And so, um, you know, we can just be curious again when we're experiencing something. We, we think, you know, we're experiencing some sensations in the body. Maybe at times I've seen, oh, there's that kind of heaviness around the heart. Why am I feeling that way? Oh, I must be lonely. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's a sensation that's just a sensation. So in another um, uh, retreat, I was um, waiting for an interview and um, I had, and I'm sure many of you also experience a little bit of anxiety or agitation or restless in mind right before the interview. And I'm, I certainly experienced that. Oh, I'm getting ready, you know, I haven't talked in three days and I'm getting ready to talk to my teacher and what is he going to think and how am I going to have something good to say and you know, I didn't write my report down, what am I going to do? You know, my, the mind kind of doing its stuff. And so this particular day, I was waiting. Uh, I was waiting for Joseph um, to finish his interview. And this particular day, his interview right before me went on a long time. And so I got to sit there 10 minutes feeling this feeling. And I was like, okay, yep, I know. This is agitation. This is anxiety. Okay, anxiety. Yep, anxiety, 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 yep. Yep, anxiety. So feeling all of these sensations and naming them anxiety. And, you know, by that point in the retreat, often the um, really being with an experience and meeting it clearly began to kind of recognize that that clear being within meeting, there was something that happened, a shifting of the experience, maybe a settling or something was revealed or something new was seen. And that didn't happen. And that very non-existence of something happening kind of piqued my interest. It's like, what's going on? Kind of like that, that question I had uh, uh, when I was driving. It's like, what else is happening here? And so, it, you know, I began realizing, well, there's a lot of this kind of vibratory energy in the body. It's kind of like shaking all the way from my toes up my legs. And it's like, whoa, it's kind of intense. And... And it was like, and I started feeling it. And, and I stopped naming it as anxiety and just s- sat back and said, what is this? And what I discovered in that moment was that it was rapture. The sensations of rapture and the sensations of anxiety can be very similar. And the mind attributed anxiety to the sensations because of the situation sitting there waiting for the interview. 
And so this kind of thing, the views, the ideas, the beliefs we bring that can shape our experience, it's amazing to start to recognize this. And so again, you know, sometimes when we're observing emotions, and we haven't talked about this in the instructions, I think that's tomorrow, right? I think tomorrow, yeah. Uh, sometimes it can be useful in noticing emotions. If you're, if you're noticing the, the, the physical experience that's associated with emotion, like, you know, you're noticing, well, there's fear happening. Well, what's the physical sensations? You know, well, there's tightness in the throat and uh, kind of uh, an, a quivering in the stomach. You know, let go of the, of the idea of fear there and just connect with the physical. Because sometimes, you know, there's a lot of, of overlap in terms of the physicality of a variety of emotions. And sometimes they're vastly different, as, as was the case for me between anxiety and rapture. It was kind of, kind of startling. So, you know, this um, being with our experience in this way, the what, what is happening, what is happening, it takes some courage and it takes some a kind of shaking up of our habitual ways of being with experience because there's so many habits that, you know, we think we know. We think we know what's happening. But, you know, to, to just come in and keep, keep kind of stepping in, well, what, what actually is going on here? And, and is there something else happening? You know, really simple. This can be very, very simple. What's revealed is mind-bendingly elaborate and complex. But the practice that reveals it is so simple. What is this? What is this? What is this? Whether it's self-hatred or bliss. What is this? What is this? And that, that kind of commitment to what is this begins to point out and reveal these, you know, um, kind of misconceptions these overlays of concept that we're seeing through and believing, it begins to reveal it just through the, the commitment. Yeah, oh, just this, just this. We don't have to try to figure it all out. Just that simplicity. The power of the mind and the mindfulness to understand how this is all constructed and put together, is phenomenal. But that's the power of the mind and mindfulness. That's not something that we actually can pick up and do. I mean, thank goodness I don't have to figure that out. (laughs) I would not know where to begin. But just the simple, just, what's this? What's this? What's this? So let's sit and just be with ourselves for a few moments. <laughs> 